0: Does it, does it take to win hosted by track record founders david carey and scott gardner Ready again. transforming your track record with leadership coaching inspired by elite performance from sports and business on your arms three two one two, get the inside track from leading performers in sports and business to find out what does it take to win
1: Hello and welcome to Track Records podcast. What does it take to win is the question that we ask each and every podcast. And today we're going to be asking that to a leading performer in the world of sports and adventures, Alex Gregory, the double Olympic champion, the five times world champion, the seven times Guinness World Record holder, the author, but as he says, the most important thing, father of three. Uh, Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a list. Like, out of all of that, what are you most proud of? What is the thing that kind of gets you up in the morning and, and gives you that smile?
0: Uh, the the medals. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's go, it's got to be the kids. Of course it's the kids. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am actually proud that I managed to achieve what I ended up achieving, but the most important thing was doing that alongside having a family as well, and it, which didn't make things easy, mm. but it made me better. It made me better at performing, which is something that I found unexpe- uh, that was unexpected. Yeah. I didn't imagine that would be the case. And things happen in life, mm. which, which
1: we discovered, yeah. and it ended up being a good thing. Yeah. Um, so it made you better. Like How on earth changing nappies, broken sleep all that kind of stuff how can that make you a better olympic athlete it just like the formula doesn't add up no it 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 doesn't on paper does it but
0: the reality and i was worried about that i was Mm. really concerned about that and actually when we found out we were having our first child i i was terrified i thought i was going to get chucked out of the team i thought that was going to be it i I was i was going to be thought of not being responsible i wasn't taking my job seriously Um, It was a a worry and it took me six months to build up the courage to Mm. tell my coach. I was on the cusp. I was just turning into uh, a performer, (laughs) having had years of of problems. Mm. Just started to get right, get things right. And then, oh, we're going to have a baby. Anyway, six months, it got to the point I couldn't hide it any longer. And uh, I sat my coach down. To tell him and uh, I said Jürgen blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> what Alex <laughs> what are you saying <laughs> and, um, and I said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a dad and he looked at me, his eyes sparkled, he leaned across the table and gave me the biggest slap across the shoulder uh. Uh, that I'd ever received from him and he said that is great news and I didn't understand that answer at the time but this coach it was such a He's such a clever, um, understanding individual. Mm. He knows what's right for people. And he could foresee my future in that moment then. It took me a while to understand what it was. But it was, he realized that it would give me something else important in my life. Mm. And actually, rowing had been the most, the only thing in my life. And that had become kind of detrimental to my performance. Mm. Whereas what transpired was that having a family... Gave me a mental break. Gave me uh, a significant uh, other half of my life, which, which more than anything, gave me the mental break. So, changing the nappies in the night, I had mm. less recovery. Yeah, I had, you know, I got home and did family stuff, mm. which, on paper, isn't what an athlete should do. You should go home and rest after a day's recovery, but after a day's training. But, um, but yeah, the the mental side of it was more important to me and my. Progression of performance improved after that. That's more, amazing. More
1: children I had. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a direct correlation between number of children and number of, well, definitely world records. Yeah, there, there was actually, but I wouldn't necessarily encourage people just to <laughs> keep having children. <laughs> so um, you became, so you had your first child and then became Olympic champion. So is that the sequence of events? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I won. I pretty much won my first race just before having, uh, literally a month before having my first child, and then, and then yeah, he he was three when we won the Olympics for the first time in 2012. Um, and let me just tell you one quick story there. Mm. Hadn't seen Jasper for two months leading up to the Olympics, and we raced. We won. I got my medal. Round my neck. And And this was in London? In London. Yeah. Yeah. At Dorney Lake, Eton Dorney. And 40 minutes after receiving my medal, I got to see my son, my three-year-old son for the first time. And he was running up the side of the bank towards me, this little kid. And I thought, this has got to be the proudest moment as a a dad. I knelt down and said, look what I've got for you, Jasper. I held my gold medal, gave it to him, and he looked at it and went, that's not chocolate, and (laughs) threw it on the grass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and gave me a hug. And do you know what? That brought me straight back down to earth. Yeah. Made me realize I've just achieved a life goal, but what is important now? Yeah. What's yeah. important now is this little fella yeah. right here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was, a, it was a, that was a special moment for me. Wow. And what, what kind of things did you do differently, you know, having that perspective, having that kind of sense of what sounds like balance in your life beyond just the focus of, you know, that piece of metal, you know, the, the metal. Um, what did that enable you to do through your training, through, you know, working with your teammates? Like, how how did that affect you?
0: it it affected me uh i i was affected by pressure i couldn't deal with pressure and from from starting the sport trying to progress and and getting into the british rowing team and and winning uh, earning my seat in world championship cruise At the big events, I couldn't perform. I I could perform to the stage where I needed to get into the crew, Mm. but when it really mattered, I couldn't perform. And it got worse and worse year after year. It's just sort of built up within me, and I, I wanted it so badly, and I couldn't deal with the nerves, the stress, the situation. And... There were there were there were a number of realisations I had an opportunity a particular opportunity I had to go to Beijing as a reserve mm. and for the first time I was at an event with no pressure on me, with no expectation. And I just got to witness I just got to sit here like we're sitting here mm. and witness what my job was all about very basically and it took me out of the situation no pressure and I could see myself why I was trying to do it what I was doing it for so clearly and family family in that moment this was a year before I had my son mm. family was um the major thing there i happened to see a family experienced that so I sat behind Mark Hunter's mum, dad and brother and Mark Hunter was in the in the lightweight double. I knew him, I trained with him for years and with 200 meters to go in the Olympic final this family were beside themselves. (laughs) I was just two foot behind them in the friends and family stand and they were standing up, sitting down, they weren't aware of anything else around them but their son and brother down in the boat there in the lead of the Olympics and mark crossed the line 30 seconds later and this family's the tears rolled Mm. down this family's face and i was transfixed by this emotion in all of my years of of sort of struggle and failure in my eyes it was at the time i'd never thought about my family i'd been on this selfish pursuit to make me as good as i could be i I was doing it for myself Mm. right there then i realized that it's not it's not about me it's about what i'm doing it for Mm. and who i can give that experience to Mm. so my motivation changed in an instant then suddenly i wasn't doing it for me which started to take the pressure off i realized that there's more people involved and i want to do it for a real reason now Mm. Um, and to give my family that experience and then a year later my son came along and gave me even more impetus in that yeah um, so, I think that's the, that was the main thing. The reason for doing something changed, yeah, um, which took the pressure off me and
1: myself huh. incredible, incredible. So often we hear that that kind of um, there 's a a realization or a moment um, that logically is easy to understand, but you know in the moment, in the heat it 's incredibly difficult to to gain that perspective, and that 's the importance of that sense of purpose or the why, or you know, the the reason for doing it in the first place, um, and it's so hard for some people to to be able to establish. But you had this, we call it fortuitous moment. But you know, you were in the stands and you kind of discovered that that kind of realization that it's not just about the winning, it's not just about you, it's not just about the outcome, but it's it's why you do it. Absolutely,
0: I don't. We all encounter problems. We all encounter robots. That's just life, and if you truly know why you're doing it, what you're doing it for, you've found that motivation somehow, which for me, it took kind of stepping out of the situation, being given the opportunity to step back and mm. see things in a different way, then there's no stopping you. From then onwards, for me, in, in my experience, from then onwards, I encountered the same problems, injuries, illnesses, um, you know, f- children being born, big sort of life things that came along, and, and but which, before would have hampered my progress and stopped me and built up into mountains of problems and uh, but those things still existed, but because I knew what I was doing it for, I felt that emotion mm. felt that motivation those problems just remained as little molehills. You know, I could navigate my way around them because I knew why. Yeah, yeah. So that was an
1: important change and important realization for me. And how would you articulate your why, your purpose, the the reason for being? Oh, that feels deep. (laughs) (laughs) Now or then? Uh, I'm interested in now, uh, but... Let's start with when. Then, sorry, then, that moment.
0: Funny enough, it is an int- something I've thought about a lot. I thought about in my early days of sport, Why? what is sport all about? Mm. Why am I doing this thing, which I felt very selfish doing, but originally very selfish. There are people, there are incredible people around. Yeah, I mean, just on your podcast, you've spoken to so many of these military personnel, mm. Uh d- doctors, saving lives, surgeons, you know, all these people doing serious things, making changes to the world. And there's me in a rowing boat trying to go fast. What purpose is that? I really struggled with that for mm. many, many years. And it, what I realized, particularly after some of these experiences with family witnessing other families that one I've just talked about in Beijing, I realised that it's it's actually not a selfish it's not a selfish thing. Or oh, I I turned it into not a selfish. Mm. Thing. I was doing it for someone else. So I'm someone who likes to uh, probably possibly please people or um, yeah yeah give people experiences, give people feelings. Mm. Um, I think that is my motivation. So then that helped me perform, yeah. and now that's what I want to do now, that's, mm. that's where I want to take my life now, yeah. now I'm not involved in sport, yeah. so sort of, yeah, giving people feelings and emotions and experiences, that's, um, I think,
1: where my purpose is. Amazing. Love that. Have you ever articulated it like that before? No, never. There you go. You've just found your purpose. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for helping me, actually. Yeah, it feel good. Usually it takes like six months in a Tibetan monastery or something, but you've been able to do it in uh, 23 minutes. That's very impressive. Um, and so in terms of the the kind of the tangible outputs of your purpose, like what is it that you aspire towards? now so you've done your Olympic rowing campaign you've you know got seven Guinness world records you know rowing up to the Arctic Circle which had never been done before you've done these incredible things Um, but what's what's the aspirations for Alex Gregory now it's a I mean this this word that we
0: all hear uh, transition whatever job whatever life we have we always go through these transition things and when you leave sport you transition into something else and you have to find your who why what etc i'm still in that but and i have struggled i'm not gonna uh, i'm gonna admit i have found that hard and that led me to do certain things um that arctic row for example you mentioned there that was a stupid thing to do (laughs) a wonderful thing to do and i wouldn't change it (laughs) for the world
1: but it taught me a lot and what was your question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I guess it is it, what do you aspire towards now so if if that purpose is is still strong like what what's the tangible output of that purpose what's what's well, your win
0: I thought it had to be something big something grand having always aspired towards winning olympic gold medals mm. I always I thought in the last few years uh, two and a half three years since I've stopped the sport that it has to be something amazing mm. the reality is for me that something amazing will only happen at the right time, when it's supposed to happen, when I find it myself, when it's natural. Mm. I don't have to panic, I don't have to rush into it. Um, If I start putting the things into place that I put to allow me to get to where I got to, um, slowly, gradually, consistently, Mm. that's the word that I love, (laughs) consistency. um, Consistently, if I start doing that, then things will happen. So I don't necessarily know Exact direction, and the purpose, but those things are starting to fall into place. Yeah, um, yeah, because of some of the opportunities that I've taken and and uh, and learnt from. Brilliant from since. So, what are you excited about at the moment? I'm excited about uh, the opportunities that I'm I'm working towards. Um, I'm involved in getting kids outdoors. I've written a book called The Adventures, and I'm passionate about that because. I feel this is a way that I can help people feel and change. Um, but we're all so busy. We're, you, we all know this. We're all so busy. We're also time pressured. We're also money, financially pressured, all this sort of stuff. And when someone has a family, you can go one way or the other. You can spend a lot of time away from your family, not seeing your family uh, to provide for them. Mm. It's kind of a tricky balance that everyone struggles with. Mm. Um, and I think spending time together can improve performance, but also make precious memories. And these, this time you spend together doesn't have to be long for mm. it to be memorable and for it to be precious. So that's one of my passions at the moment. That's yeah. one of my projects that I'm working on. And I love to talk about it and
1: write about it and think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's amazing. And so the book Dad Ventures, uh, which I love as well, because it's, it's like so, so simple, and yet could be so special. So like, what's some of the the favourite kind of activities that you've identified in there? The book is written based on my experiences from childhood and the things that I
0: do with my children. So they're all, they're all basically free. <laughs> <laughs> the simple things, all outdoors. Uh, all my precious memories from childhood are the things that I did outdoors. I don't remember coming home on Tuesday night after school watching TV, which I know I did, I must yeah. have done. But I do remember the afternoon when we went down to the end of the garden and dad just dug a hole and it was just me and him I remember I'm I, f- I can feel it it was just me and him pure time together he just dig, dug me a hole to Australia <laughs> and you know it didn't cost anything apart from a bit of his graft and sweat <laughs> yeah uh but it was a precious moment I was young and mm. I still remember it now so I mean s- silly things like that to more, slightly more sort of advanced things. So, like kind of, uh, making a shelter that you sleep in outside, out of anything in the garden. But to a child, things like that are so exciting and so memorable. We as adults, because of life, we forget that and we mm. lose our sense of childhood adventure and sense of childhood feeling. Um, and it doesn't take much to get that back and
1: to give that back to your child as well. Mm. So, that's where I'm coming from with that, really. Yeah. no, it, I, I just find that whole thing fascinating that uh, you kind of admitting, yes, you probably did watch TV and all that kind of stuff, but it, it's, it's not memorable. It's not special. And yet digging the hole was the thing that you found special, but it was actually that experience you were having with your dad in that moment that was special. And that kind of sharing of experience um, was was just so fascinating. And then fast forward to sitting in Beijing, watching that family watch their son, father, daughter, brother uh, cross the line. All of a sudden, you kind of were able to connect the two dots and kind of go, ah, that's why I do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely
0: And I think just very quickly going back to the whole, <laughs> it, it was, although I didn't know it at the time, it was good for me, but also as, a, as an adult, as a parent, as a performer in work, life, where we all have to perform, it's a, it's a time that allows you to break away from your stresses and your pressures. And I think whether you're an athlete, whether you're whatever job you do, you need that time that mental break and just giving yourself if you're a parent an opportunity to do that with a child that's even better it's good Mm. for both of you it's mentally good for both sides of things i think
1: you mentioned you know that transition between sport and what comes next is is always uh a not always, but it, it can be a challenging um, change and, and often people put it down to identity and, and that kind of sense that I was a roer or I was an Olympian and what now? And uh, I'll always remember a story that I heard, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I like the story that um, after Chris Hoy had, had um, won his incredible Olympic medal winning hall um, and was Sir Chris Hoy, and was going through immigration at the U.S. And the guy said, uh, so what do you do? And he kind of (laughs) went, I used to cycle? And he was like, no, 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 but what do you do? And he couldn't answer. And he then got dragged out to an interrogation room because this guy <laughs> thought he was being evasive. But he was just like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know who I am. I don't know I have this identity and all this kind of stuff. Now, who knows if it's true or not, but I certainly had that feeling and I know many other athletes have as well. Um, so, you know, how, how do you start to build a new identity? Well,
0: uh, yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I can definitely relate to that but i think it comes back to one of the one of the ways that i found to perform and it's it's about people it's about the people you have around you the people you have around you that you use to f- help you find that identity nothing in life can we do alone i don't mm. I, I don't believe uh, and it, w- people want to help just, it's in, it's in us, isn't it? We want to feel valued. We want to help people. And if we help someone, then we'll get help back. It's, it's, a, it's a positive cycle. And I certainly found that in the, uh, that's one of the reasons I love rowing. You, you, you go around in circles if you don't work <laughs> together. You literally go around in circles if you don't work together. So, I had to discover that myself over time. I had to discover how to how to get the best out of my crewmates around me i was i 'm no i 'm no, i 'm just a i am just a guy who fell into a boat at school i 'm not particularly naturally gifted or talented or naturally fit or certainly not naturally strong unfortunately though <laughs> um, all those things I had to work on myself, improve myself but also use the skills of of Pete in my boat or Andy or George or whoever who mm. was more naturally strong or uh, um rhythmic or whatever it was that yeah. we needed at the time and that that falls into place now for me I think and I'm I'm having to put those things into practice now I need to get advice from people I need to open up and talk to people and talk about what I'm worried about how to do this where to go who to speak to mm. um use people that's, that's What um, what I've learned from that, use people to help me find who I am. Yeah, because yeah, we have our own conception, preconceptions
1: of who we are, but actually, we need in input from the outside. Yeah, as well. So you you spoke about um being able to kind of I, you know, gain that identity and being able to achieve anything. Uh, without people is is pretty much impossible. Uh, and one story that I'll never forget was as you were going into London with the enormous pressure of the home crowd and the expectation and uh, Team GB hadn't lost the men's Coxless 4s for I don't know how many years. Um, and you had four of the best uh, rowers that had ever assembled into one rowing team and it was almost inevitable that you guys were going to win that gold and yet you just weren't clicking we didn't click
0: and sometimes on paper you can have the best crew the best team it's the same with everything and yet when it comes to it and you have to try and work together it just doesn't work something doesn't work the magic might not be there Mm. initially sometimes it works and it's sparky and it everything flows but this time this 2012 crew i'm sure none of the guys will mind me saying we 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 knew it in our hearts we weren't working properly we our boat wasn't moving and the pressure was on just as you say the Coxless 4 had won in Sydney in 2000 in Athens in 2004 in Beijing in 2008 Great Britain that's Great Britain's boat the Coxless 4 it's the one that everyone wants to be in it's Jürgen Grobler's boat the most successful rowing coach in the world ever we had to win so the pressure was really on and we went into the racing season and we won some races but which didn't really help them at it, sort of put a sticky plaster over issues we knew in our hearts. We were trying to overcome, but we just didn't know how to. And then the best thing in the world ever happened to us. In the last race before the Olympics, two months before, uh, we were beaten by Australia. Australia came over to Europe and beat us by miles. I mean, they looked amazing. (laughs) They just flowed. They were loose. They looked easy. And they just sailed on past us and beat us. And that was the moment where we realized we have to really make a difference now we have to admit that something is wrong not just panned around the subject and think it'll be all right next Mm. tomorrow or whatever we had to really make a change then that turned into going to speak to someone who's been there done it before we have an incredible resource in british rowing of people who'd won gold medals before matthew pinson uh, one of the guys had his number in in his phone. He'd just commentated on the race that we'd lost to Australia. So we phoned him up and said, Matt, look, we need some help here. You know what's just happened. Can we come pick your brains? And he was like, sure, come hmm. around. Come around next week. And we're like, oh, tomorrow morning we're going off to Austria. Can we come around tonight? <laughs> He's like, oh, guys, come on. <laughs> you sure? Of course you can. And yeah. he welcomed us into his house. Um, two, of us, two of us went out to the crew of four. And we just chatted to him. And at the end of this long chat, he just said, when you cross the line in two months time, are you going to have any regrets? Is there anything you need to say? Do you talk to each other? And we thought about it for a few seconds. And of course, we talk to each other. Mm. What sort of advice is that? He said, no, do you really talk to each other? And of course, it was telling. There were only two of us there in that room. And we we realized we hadn't been honest with each other. We'd been trying. we been doing all the training we'd be listening to the coach but we weren't being truly honest with each other so the next day we flew off to Austria to, to altitude training camp and we sat down together as a four and we just said look we're not going to win in two months time there's no question about it we've just seen that we need to be honest and start talking and we opened up the conversation we we decided that when we were in our training kit when we're in our lycra or standing by the boat we could say anything we needed to say to each other that was work mm. you, anything personal anything you don't like about me anything i don't like about you you say it anything that will stop us performing potentially stop us even if there's a slight chance it'll slow us down you just say it and then when you're when we're out of that situation when we're in our casual clothes or whatever mm. uh we'll just go back to life and what happened immediately the next day was the boat picked up Hmm. we started we started understanding what made each one of us tick a little bit more we were i could say i can't follow you pete i can't follow you and he was like oh i've been doing that for 15 years why haven't you said that before and i'm well i didn't want to upset the apple car and it's a very british thing to do you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable by By being honest with them, (laughs) because it ruins the rest of your life. We were living together 24 seven. We were eating breakfast, lunch, dinner in the boat, in the gym, the whole time together. We didn't want to say anything that might make that uncomfortable. Anyway, it changed our lives on the water it changed our lives off the water as well it gave us a separation which we needed so we could actually mentally switch off Mm. whereas before we'd been going back to our rooms and discussing it and worrying about it and worrying about the next session and the next race whereas actually we didn't need to worry about it we could just relax and recover and enjoy our lives off the water because on the water we knew we were taking care and uncovering every stone lo and behold just through conversation the boat started to go faster it started to feel faster and over the course of the next
1: two weeks we turned into a proper crew Hmm. And it was purely through conversation that's amazing opening up that's amazing and, and what kind of stuff did you do differently like it, you know for the Matthew Pinson for example commentating on the race What what did he see you guys do differently well very simple we one of the first
0: things we said in that in that chat we had that meeting was we're all after the same thing. We all know what our target is. It's a gold medal. There's no question about that. We are all so clear. That's such an obvious target for us. We know what that is. And we started to talk about how we wanted to look in the race, how we wanted to feel, how we wanted to approach each training session and we realized that we we were all kind of saying the same things but just speaking a slightly different language. So we weren't understanding each other and so we weren't we just weren't quite on the same page. Mm. And Uh, And so we started to create an image in our minds of how we were going to take every stroke, how we were going to reach every marker along the way over the course of the next two months. And crucially, for every training session we did, we did three training sessions a day, um, seven days a week. We did that all year. But for that short time period, we had to know exactly how we were going to feel and look for every single stroke we take. The thousands of strokes we'd take before the Olympics, we had to know that we were all feeling and thinking the same during those strokes, whether it took an hour to describe it mm. before a training session or five minutes. However long it took, we would make sure we were all speaking the same language, all on the same page. And, uh, and so what someone commentating saw suddenly was a crew... Uh, that were thinking and moving and acting alike. Whereas before they would have seen a combination of two different parts to the boat, (laughs) working well together in those two parts, but not well as a unit. So we were performers before, but separate performers in the same team. Mm. Whereas it was
1: visually obvious that we had become a crew through that. Isn't that just incredible to be able to track it back to a moment? You know, being able to say that those conversations led to more cohesion and that more cohesion led to a better performance. And crucially, it was the the emotional journey. It was the the feelings that you guys had to identify and articulate that allowed you to get there. I think the thing for me is that it's so simple.
0: You have just described it then. Why didn't we do that six, 12 months before? But when you're in the situation it's not easy, it's not hard. Sometimes you need the kick at the backside mm. or, or the, the, the failure or the fault to, to show you that. But if, if from then on, for me, that was the first point of call. All right, we've been selected in this crew. Let's start talking honestly. Let's just mm. be honest. What do we want from it? How do we want to feel? How do we want to look? And life just become, became so much easier. And we started not to worry about each other's emotions, really. When we were in the job, in the job sense, in the kit, yeah. because it doesn't matter. Because we were all, we knew we were all doing it for the same reason. Yeah. Um. You still got to be respectful of your colleagues, yeah. and and that just goes without saying. But
1: honesty is is different to that, I think.
0: Yeah. And it was just a simple change. Yeah,
1: it's a huge difference. We often hear that, um, and and we speak about it certainly with our clients. That that ability to separate the person and the performance is just so important and athletes are almost kind of made to do it because people talk about their performance and they give feedback and they say oh that was terrible and and all that kind of stuff and and those that aren't able to see that as as a critique and feedback on the performance but feel it as an ego hit or a a criticism of them as a person it's just so difficult and draining and yet as soon as you see it as a as a as data or information about the performance all of a sudden it's quite exciting because you've got a way to improve and develop and get better, but it's that decoupling of the two things and and the way that you described it as soon as you um put on the lycra that's performance and you put on the jeans and that's personal um so maybe the boardrooms need to be dressing dressing up in lycra is that your solution i oh, yeah, i couldn't i, <laughs> I couldn't uh <laughs>
0: condone that anymore I love lycra i miss it
1: <laughs> well you say you're missing it you're sitting here in full lycra so. <laughs> aren't we both <laughs> don't drag me into your world <laughs> um so yeah so that that ability to separate um personal and performance sounds like a a really key thing so your performance now, like how how do you get that same level of feedback about you know what you're doing as as an author, as a an adventurer, as all these things that you you currently do? How how do you gain that same insight, feedback, conversation nowadays? Mainly from uh, my wife at home. She <laughs> tells me I'm not performing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I have to be. I have to. One of the hardest things for me leaving a sport was leaving a group of people even a group of people who are trying to do something uh, trying to be the best in the world at something it's a high performing group and there's no hiding in a group like that you can't get away with anything and it's a positive it's just a positive we had created a positive environment in this in that rowing team uh, I was with a group of mates basically all trying to do the same thing uh, I missed that and now I have to take responsibility for that on my own I sit at home in my in my bedroom doing my work um more or less and so it's a it's a much more personal thing um but if I if I'm not honest with myself then I don't get the job or I don't perform well or I don't get repeat repeat book deal or whatever <laughs> yeah um whatever it is uh so it's, it's yeah, it, it, I just have to be much more honest with myself now. Yeah. But for me, that's a, that's a step forward. That's a, that's a way to move on from what I did in the past. I, I did rely on the group and people to do that, and I loved that, but now I have to do it myself. Do you ever think
1: back and think, actually, I, I, I've forgotten some of the good stuff that I used to do in sport that I could apply to my life now? All the time.
0: Most of the time I know I'm not doing it. So at least at least I'm aware of it, but mm. I, I recognise that I'm not doing some of the things that you have to do in sport. I mentioned consistency before. I do want to mention that because mm. it's so it was so important to us. And I, I've mentioned Jürgen Grobler a couple of times. He was so influential in my career and the careers of many many Olympic gold medalists in rowing. Matthew Pinson, Steve Redgrave, for example, two of his athletes. And Jürgen valued consistency over. Any other marker, hmm. you could you could turn up to the training venue tomorrow. Anyone could. You'd sit on the rowing machine and you pull a world record. Jürgen will come over, slap me on the back. Good, good result. Well done. See you tomorrow. But tomorrow you're absolutely knackered. You've killed yourself. You can't turn up. You you you're ill. You've pushed yourself too hard. You did a great performance once, but that means nothing if you can't turn up the next day. Hmm. Because what Jürgen wants is someone to turn up on day one, pull their score, get their, do their result, get their result. And the next day they'll be there, they'll improve a tiny, tiny little bit, or mm. stay the same, or improve a tiny bit. Constantly trying to improve, but at their level. And you are suddenly there every session, three sessions, seven days a week for four years. Jürgen understands that he can then rely on you, mm. the, your crewmates, your teammates around you, can rely on you they, they know what they're getting from you you can see that you're gradually improving and getting better so you're a reliable person crews start being built around you you might not be the absolute performer the strongest, the best athlete, which I certainly wasn't. But Jürgen started building crews around me. I was the one he he started off with because he could rely on me. He knew four years down the line that I would be there on the start line. So that, for me, became a major thing, consistency over anything else. I used to go and try and kill myself every session, but that just got me ill, it made mm. me injured. I couldn't turn up. So just bringing it back a little bit, performing at my level, became the thing that got me selected all the time. And once I was selected, then I start helping my crewmates and getting the best out of themselves. That's yeah. a slightly different. Yeah. And,
1: and how would you describe his leadership style?
0: Jürgen's a scary guy. He's a
1: scary guy because of his results.
0: Because of his extraordinary background, and only gets he's still coaching now. So Tokyo, he said that'll be his last Olympics, but we thought that four Olympics ago. <laughs> um, but it's his performances, past performances, that that just give you confidence and trust. Going back to to London 2012 or or, or Rio, we were in. I was sitting in Jurgen's boat, so we sat on the start line, and our opposition, all our opposition, would have looked across at us and gone. That's the British Coxes 4. They're coached by Jurgen. They always win. Hmm. That we're already on the on the right side of things because of Jurgen's background. So he's very quiet, he's very calm, he doesn't share much at all. Sometimes that's that's frustrating, but the confidence his results and his performances of the past give you gives you a boost up immediately. Hmm. And one more thing that sets Jurgen apart from anyone else. You could be out for a two-hour training session and he'll say five words just randomly in the middle. He'll say, guys, the stern is dipping and it's a technical thing about the boat. Mm. Just, there's four of us in the boat and we're we're all suddenly thinking, well, what's causing that? Surely he can see what's causing that. Why isn't he saying it? Why isn't he telling us one of us to change or us to change something? But he leaves it there. So then we have to start talking amongst ourselves we have to start trying to figure out so the stroke person or one of the crew will go oh I'll try this and that hasn't worked and we start being aware of that one specific thing nothing said for another two weeks <laughs> and then two weeks later in another training session he'll come over the microphone and say guys the stern is better and in the last two weeks we haven't worked on anything else, mm. anything else but ourselves within the crew that stern and what over those two weeks, what we have created is a robust change, a change that we've figured out ourselves, that has changed the speed of the boat, has changed the way the boat moves. we've done it ourselves, so that we're not going to lose that. What I've found other coaches do uh, in our sport is you'll be out for a couple of hours on the on the river and they say, "Alex, move your hand down there." 10 strokes later, they'll say, Alex, push your legs harder. 10 strokes later, you're leaning back too far. You're getting bombarded with all this information, change, change, change. You've forgotten the first one mm. by the time you've started the second change. So nothing really gets changed. Jürgen's very patient, He's consistent in his coaching. He, he, and he makes you figure things out yourself or helps, plants the seed, allows you to figure things out yourself, which makes true changes. Um, and that's how we improved as crews.
1: Really, uh, isn't? I mean, just mind blowing to think that um, in our country, the most successful uh, coach we've probably ever had has got that success. By saying five words every two weeks, <laughs> but it's the imagine Im- if you said more. <laughs> <laughs> what if what would happen if he said four? But yeah, no, I, I think that that is is such an incredible insight into um, being on the receiving end of great leadership and and ultimately coaching because that that ability for you guys to and I really like that term. I've not heard it before, but that robust change. You know, you guys have really. Um, worked together, figured it out and it is a a change for good because you guys have figured it out between you.
0: Yeah, And and I think performance always comes down to confidence as well. When you're sitting on the start line of Olympic Games or you're pitching a project or whatever it was you're under pressure, you're nervous things can fall apart but when you've made changes that you're confident in, Mm. that are natural to you that you've developed over time then You don't have to worry about them. They're going to be there, and that's what he gave us. Sitting on the start line of the Olympic Games, both times, we knew we'd made changes that would be there. We knew our boats were fast. Mm. In Rio, I I knew we were going to win, barring a break of the boat. We were the. It was the most consistent crew that I'd ever been a part of. No one was good at everything in that crew, but we were. jigsaw puzzle that fitted together perfectly and that was through years of sort of figuring those things out as individuals and coming together and putting them together and we were so confident sitting on that start line we knew we were going to win
1: amazing i've got two final questions my first question is going back to your son um, and confidence what advice or principles or concepts um, would you like or do you give him, in order to give him that confidence? Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, I'm winging it
0: <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I've learned is that I want him to take opportunities and I found it hard uh realizing i wanted to achieve something and not achieving those things and failing i was failing year after year after year and i so nearly stopped but now i sit here now they weren't failures they weren't they were nothing they were just little lessons they were useful positive things so if there's anything i, I want to say to my son is that Just try things, put yourself out there. If it doesn't work, you will find a way, find a way, find Mm. a way. Speak to people, do something different, change. Work on what it is you're not good at and make that change because there is always a way. I think I was just the guy who stuck around long enough to figure things out. I was not better than anyone, just figured it out. Um, So that stood me in good stead and that's what I want to try and give to my son. Just keep going.
1: And my final question to you is, as a result of this conversation here today, uh, what have you either re-remembered or realised or recognised that perhaps you wouldn't have had we not had this conversation? I think my,
0: my um, purpose in life, I've, I've realised that what it is that motivates me is giving people uh, emotions. Bringing this round to full circle, uh, I talked about that family in Beijing that I witnessed uh, having that emotional experience, which changed my life. Four years to the day, I stood about to receive my Olympic gold medal, my first Olympic gold medal in London 2012, and my medal was brought to me on a silver platter in front of me. The national anthem was about to play. I was standing with my crewmates, and it was lifted up off this platter by the official and just about to be hung around my neck. And I looked up into the stands, right up at the back was standing my mum, my dad, and my brother. <laughs> and tears were rolling down their faces. They were hugging each other till their knuckles were white. And four years to the day, things had come around in full circle. Four years previously, I'd been behind the family witnessing that moment. And all the struggle, all the pain had been was worth it. Then, in that moment there. And that's what it was all about for me, giving other people that feeling that emotion that's why my job was worthwhile at that time
1: um and i'm thankfully figured out a way to do it mm. and who knows how many different ways you're going to be able to do that now through more books more adventures um more businesses i'm sure uh, alex it's been a total privilege to be able to to get that insight from you thank you so much for spending the time and being so open and honest um with your uh, stories. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.